0: B.B. Fajodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Good evening. This is the African Liberation Media. I'm Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell A. Swilly. I'm here with brothers Amos and Macaroo. The day's date again is July 28th, 6261. This I have been told. I want to start with a quote from brother Neely Fuller. He writes Therefore, as a victim of racism and as one who is both subject to and a participant in the overall support of injustice, I intend to use what knowledge and understanding that has been given to help develop the correct procedures for eliminating racism and producing justice. Suffice it to say, it is incumbent to eliminate racism and white supremacy and replace it with justice. And we'll talk about some of the specific uh, methods that Dr. Fuller and Dr. Wilsing uh, recommends uh, as we progress during this show. This is the African Liberation Media. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it.
1: B.B. Fajodier, I want to touch a little bit on some of the things that I've seen and some of the things that people are not really picking up on. In regards to the direction of what's happening right now with this Ashkenazim-Sephardic Black Alliance. And I use the term Ashkenazim and Sephardic uh, because historically this is where the people who claim to be Semitic today are from historically um when we look at somebody yeah, hold, on,
2: hold on a minute almost can you can you tell people where the, those are as i understand that are two branches of judaism and could could you could you just explain just briefly to the audience for the people who don't know uh you know what those two uh, sects are you know where they're located and you know how they wound up in uh, israel or you know just just give people something so that they'll understand that you know what the what that rep what that means
1: okay Yeah. simply put uh, you know we look at Sephardia you're talking about the Western portion of Europe where these people today who consider themselves Jewish or Jews uh, originated from and then Ashkenazi is uh-huh the Ashkenazi uh, area in the eastern part of Europe in the mountains where these people originated from. These two groups of people who both claim Judaism as their religion um, then transitioned down into uh, the land of what today is known as Israel that they essentially stole from the Palestinians, the people who were already living there. So, and I'm glad you, you told me to do that because it leads directly into some of the things we want to discuss tonight in regards to, uh, BDS, what this movement is and what we're seeing happening, uh, right before our eyes right now. So long story short, last week I was in a barbershop and, uh, the TV was on and there was a CBS special that came on while I was uh, sitting in a chair and it was going into the history of blacks and Jews and their alliance in the fight against racism. And it depicted this older rabbi who was talking about some some history of you know, the Holocaust and And it talks about, you know, how blacks and Jews helped each other uh, in different periods in America. So they're selling this point uh, for a particular reason. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But in watching that, they also talked about the recent events that happened with Nick Cannon and Deshaun Jackson. And I really started to get a feeling Um, Now I don't have any evidence to prove this at all but it seems like the perfect storm for those two events to have taken place when they did on one hand with Deshaun Jackson and his situation with the Philadelphia Eagles you have the owner of the Eagles who was preparing to launch a Holocaust documentary prior to Deshaun Jackson's tweet that he released with the supposed quote that came from Hitler and then on the other hand you have the Nick Cannon situation where that pretty much snowballed into a media firestorm that really started to elevate the conversations around uh, what you're seeing in in regards to quote unquote anti-Semitism which is another misnomer because We know historically, as we just stated, the Ashkenazi and the Sephardic people are not Semitic people. That's just historically a fact. Secondly, when we look at the situation that's happening with the promotion of a quote unquote black and Ashkenazi and Sephardic alliance. Uh, We have to go back to 2005 when this particular movement started called BDS, uh, which basically stands for Boycott, Divest, and Sanction Israel for their exploitation and for their uh, genocide against the Palestinian people. This is a movement uh, that was started by the Palestinian people, and it's a movement that has gained popularity since 2005 Now you're starting to see this movement go around the country to a lot of predominantly white universities and pick up momentum where a lot of people are starting to give their support for this idea of telling the United States to boycott and sanction Israel. Now the United States and Israel have been allies for quite some time. And there's a lot of conspiracy theories that go behind the reasoning for that. Some people suggests that there's some type of sexual blackmail, you want to call it. I don't. I hate to use the term blackmail because we know that you know that's a derogatory term towards (laughs) black people. But there's some type of hold that these people have over a lot of the leaders of this country, and you can go out on the (laughs) internet and search for that. But uh, just recently. When Jeffrey Epstein, quote unquote, committed suicide in a prison cell, which we know for a fact that it's highly impossible for someone in maximum security, who's that high of importance of a witness, to be allowed to commit suicide. Uh, and and there was actually one doctor who gave an autopsy who said that it actually looked like murder. Mm. So. With this Jeffrey Epstein situation, uh, some people believe that the information and the evidence that he had was information that could be used against numerous leaders from Bill Clinton to Donald Trump uh, to many other celebrities, Joe Biden, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And Some people also believe that Israel, the state of Israel, was using Jeffrey Epstein as a pawn to collect uh, information about a lot of these leaders, specifically them participating in pedophilia acts as a way for them to, I use the term, white male a lot of these leaders in America to get them to fund wars that Israel wanted to be a part of and also to just generate billions and billions of dollars and and give this money to Israel on a yearly basis. Now, that's just a theory. I don't know if that theory is true, but it could be possible. But back to the point about how this relates to black people, because this BDS movement has started to gain this much momentum, back in 2019, President Trump signed an executive order that banned what they call anti-Semitism on college universities and campuses. Okay? Donald Trump is in an alliance with Israel. Even though if you would believe that he was a white nationalist and a white <laughs> supremacist, like many of these Anglos are, they hate Jewish people. So, we have to ask the question, what makes Donald Trump in alliance with israel now i don't want to get into this today because it'll be too long of a topic to deal with but there is a difference between what we would call the western state of israel and the eastern state of israel what people will call zionism mm. many of your corporate sephardic and ashkenazium that live here in america have a different agenda in often cases, a more liberal agenda than many of your Eastern Zionist, traditional, conservative uh, Ashkenazi or Sephardic people. So with that being said, with the popularity that came from the university movement uh, or the universities promoting this Palestinian movement called BDS, now... The Hats have developed a strategy where they realize that there's an upcoming war, or an ongoing war right now, that's picking up steam between them and what you would call the Anglo-European. And there's always been a difference. If you go back through our history, you can read history about how many kings in Europe kicked out the Hats from those communities and from those countries because of the way that they exploited a lot of those people now i'm not going to get into what happened in germany and all of that but if you do go back and you read a lot of hitler's work a lot of what he had to say in regards to the operation and how these people operate can still be said to be true if you look at how they operate today now that's not you know me saying that everything hitler said was correct but some of the things that he did say about the operation is correct and if you look at the way that they have always tried to be ahead of the curve or try to uh fit themselves in every or ahead of every black movement So that then they can manipulate and control that movement, ultimately for their benefit. If you look at that history, then you can understand now why they're forming this alliance with black people. Because they realize that in order for them to (coughs) fight this war against the the quote unquote Anglo-European, they have to have an alliance with someone. And they want to use black people as the battering ram for this particular oncoming war. Nobody else is talking about this. And this is why, uh, here at African liberation media, we bring you not only the current information or what's happening now, but we also try to give you our foresight and discernment on what could potentially be coming down the pipeline so that we could be prepared to fight against this type of onslaught. We don't want to get in the middle of a war between the Anglo and the Sephardic or Ashkenazim. We want to let them battle it out. And we focus on things that we can do to strengthen and empower ourselves. Now they've already recruited, uh, black people at these different colleges and universities, HBCUs to be the heads of these programs. And what they're doing is they're actually taking black people from these colleges and universities, sending them back to Israel. They're sending them on trips and pilgrimages to Israel so that they can then learn more about uh, the Jewish culture and come back as an ally for Israel. Now, why would black people want to accept an invitation to travel to a state and become an ally with a country that is known for systematically physically uh oppressing another people that live there money Hmm. Let,
2: let me let me ask you something almost in terms of um so in terms of global forces who who would be the Anglos, who would be on the Anglo side and who would be on the you know, Ashkenazi Sephardic side, just in terms of global global forces? Because when when the average person, if they to the extent that they think coherently about potential wars in the world, I think right now most people would think of war of a war between the United States and China or the United States and Iran. Um, uh, I'm not sure how far Russia is up on that chart, but I would think those would be, those would be the top two, uh, wars that most people would think about and Of course, now we know that they have numerous low intensity wars going on all the time, including, uh, the imposition of sanctions, which is a form of warfare against countries like Zimbabwe and Venezuela and Cuba, for example. But just, just for a point of clarity so that I can understand, uh, you know, where you're going with this and I understand what you're doing. You're not, you're not espousing any kind of conspiracy theory here. You just making people aware of a potential and you know and and that potential is based on uh the hard evidence we have from the recruitment of you know people uh like the uh, son of my one of my former teachers cleveland sellers his son bakari uh recruited by the uh one of these jewish organizations when he was a student at morehouse and many others and i don't want to single bakari out because he's he's a well-known personality and i've known known about him since he was a child. Uh but can you just explain can you just explain who these forces, you know, would would be in terms of global powers?
1: Well, we look at the Sephardic and Ashkenazim Ashkenazium side, as far as you know, global powers, these people are everywhere. Um they're at the top of many corporations at the top of many financial institutions. You can't really do it by countries because these these people operate within the fabric of various countries. So what you're seeing take place is really a a power battle, a power struggle. And it's taking place, um, I mean, you'll see it even in instances with the mainstream media here and Jews who are at the top of certain corporations in their battle against the current president here, Donald Trump. Uh, you'll see it um, in Russia with the battle between certain politicians and certain people uh, within that country against uh, President Putin. So this, this is... It's not, it's not something that you can specifically say is leader A or leader B or country A I mean country C or country D. This is more so a ideology that people follow and believe in and they use that ideology to their advantage in the exploitation of people around the planet. And you have people who are against that ideology who are majority Majority of those people are non sephardic Ashkenazi uh, Anglo Europeans who are fighting against that ideology.
2: Okay, so so this this is you you're not talking necessarily about a physical war, Axis versus Allies. Uh, you you're talking this is more a uh, psyops or battle for you know, influence the control of of, of people's minds in order to achieve uh, certain objectives. I'm just I'm just trying to get, you know, some clarity in terms of, you know, what 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 this is. It's not necessarily physical, but of course, you know, we know, you know, there was, uh, you know, Israel is constantly bombing uh, targets in Syria. I mean, no other country in the world could do this other than the United States. Uh, There was also the most recently the deaths of several people in in iran that are associated with their uh uh you know nuclear program so i mean these people they're they're carrying out uh you know a a different level of guerrilla types of warfare all the time but in this particular situation the these uh, particular jewish sex versus these anglos as you call them this is not necessarily physical it may be more you know psychological warfare a battle for the control of influence uh if you can if you can influence public policy then you get certain resources is that what you're talking about
1: i mean it's not physical as we can see yet but with the events that are taking place they're trying to prevent a lot of the um the hats are trying to prevent it from becoming physical mm-hmm.
2: so let me ask you this so why would why would okay so the bds <coughs> thing has uh taken hold among uh you know certain uh you know Primarily young white students or maybe liberal white people, perhaps even some white white radicals or whoever, you know, they, they would be today. I'm not sure who they would be. But, uh, but on black campuses, I mean, you know, how could, how, how would how would HBCU students who, man, I bet you if you polled them, I mean, how many of them would even know what you're talking about? How would they? How, how could they become a bulwark against? I mean, to stop the spread of this um, this BDS movement. And you know, it's also interesting that you know John Lewis was longtime supporter of uh, Israel, opposed the BDS movement, but he conflictingly said that people had a right to boycott Israel. Kind of strange, you know, the way he you know tried to you know walk that tightrope. Or...
1: Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty easy. Um if you go through the black community now a lot of people can tell you many of the verses in the Bible but they will still tell you that they believe in Jesus okay so they may not know the details of what BDS is but that's not the goal for the hat the goal for the hat is to is to create a a, a, a mental alliance that will lead to a physical alliance between us and them Okay. And they want to stop the rise. So they know that with the spread of information and the spread of ideologies, there can be a global rise of what they would consider to be anti Semitism. Okay. With the popularity of BDS and also with many of these other white nationalists that are traveling to a lot of these different colleges and universities and speaking to these young white people that's preparing the next generation for what they would consider to be an anti-Semitic climate culture or generation, which would mm-hmm. then lead to people pointing a finger at them and trying to neutralize a lot of the power that they have. Mm-hmm. So to get ahead of that curve, what you do is you, you find an ally who can ally with you to help neutralize that from, from, from happening. And black people have always been the... The group of people that people will try to um utilize first in any battle that they are that they are fighting against it's no different than you know people um who try to utilize black people in different various wars you know the first people to get recruited the first people to be put on the front lines has always been the black person Mm -hmm. the black man and black woman Mm. but mm. I mean it's a very this is one of those wars where if you look now you may not be able to see it physically on the surface
3: mm-hmm.
1: but then 20 years from now we'll look back at details that are things that have taken place and then we'll say this is something that we missed because this is a lot of times how they operate they, they okay. operate with plans and strategies that really are not really revealed until later No different than, you know, the Henry Kissinger National Security memorandum 200. Mm -hmm. You know, people were talking about that 20 years later, but a lot of the damage had already been done. Right, right, right.
2: Well, you know, in that that context, I I mean, a lot of people are wondering, you're talking about um, Deshaun Jackson and Nick Cannon and a lot of people are wondering it just seems like for some people almost too much of a coincidence right even Mm -hmm. griff you know uh i don't know did i send you the griff thing i can't remember if i sent you griff's latest 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 interview um you know even griff was wondering why canon sit on that interview for a year or you know they they take the show sometime during 2019 mm. and then, uh, the Deshaun Jackson thing hits, you know, and Steven Jackson adds his, uh, two cents and, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar took the, uh, opposite position, chose to scold them along with, uh, another Jackson, <laughs> O'Shea, otherwise known as ice cube. Um, uh, And, you know, saying that uh, anti-Semitism, which we need, we really need to just go ahead and break down what that is. But so you had the Deshaun Jackson thing erupt. And, you know, he's way off base with, you know, his quote and all that kind of stuff. But that created a bit of a firestorm, but nothing compared to the firestorm that Nick, it, it almost seems too much of a coincidence that. I mean, was it kind of just that politically naive that he decided to drop the uh, Griff interview at the time when the uh, Deshaun Jackson thing was hot? Or, you know, he has a Jewish manager that his manager tell him to do that. You're going you're gonna to take some heat, but then we're going we're gonna to cover for you. You know, we're going to save your job at Fox or we're going to find, you know, some other monies for you. I, I mean, I. I it's just it's just very interesting in the context of what you what you were saying that if it was a coincidence it was one hell of a coincidence.
1: Yeah, I mean that and like that I said the earlier, two it's... things
2: happen si- almost simultaneously and that, or and that's you know what one, I, one behind the other.
1: That's what Go I ahead. said in the beginning um, is that you know I I don't try to get into too much conspiracy talk or conspiracy theories but it seems too much like a perfect storm. You know, it seems that and when you have power, sometimes you can make situations look like a perfect storm with the way that you can influence people through the media with money and everything. You could you can put a level of importance on whatever you want to, whatever you want to make popular at the time, you have the power to do that. But when you look at Nick's Nick Cannon's apology from the ridicule to the apology, it almost looks staged hmm. specifically with the wording that's used in the apology mm-hmm. he didn't just apologize because um, the pressure was on him and he wanted to just apologize for the statements he made he went on to become an apologist hmm. for Jewish people in talking about how beautiful of a people they were and all of these different things so it seems as though that seemed to me like it was a stage to set the to set the tone and set the momentum for the direction that they want to push this thing. And then directly after that, you start seeing these specials come on TV talking about the history of blacks and Jews. When were you, were you really study the history of black people and Jewish people from the outside, from somebody who may not really understand or have a good solid foundation of understanding of our situation it will look positive it will look like these were the quote-unquote what people like to call good white people even Mm -hmm. though we know that that doesn't exist but when you look at the history and you really have a good understanding of what really happened and what took place and what position we ended up in then you will see that it was not positive it was not beneficial yeah, if if we were in the kitchen and it was hot and they turned the temperature down a little bit, then the kitchen wouldn't be as hot, but we're still in the kitchen. Mm. So we could have taken steps that could have gotten us out of the kitchen, but that is what they aligned with us to stop from happening because they knew that they still needed an underclass group of people that they can control and exploit and use the talent to make money off of. And that has been their goal with us since our relationship with them started. When you look into those books like The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews, and you look at how they financed the slave trade, that still hasn't been refuted, or how they participated in the financing of the slave trade. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at uh, different Lectures, a a good lecture to get is the the secret relationship, the secret relationship between black leaders and small hats, which goes directly into the history of leaders like Frederick Douglass, the history of leaders like Martin Luther King and others, who worked with the Jews and hats, and how the Jews and hats twisted a lot of their plans and agendas to benefit them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So right now what we're seeing is is a continuation of that in 2020 or 6261. We're seeing a continuation of it now. and what's going to happen is, and you can also look at the Black lives Matter movement. We know that the primary sources of funding for that comes from the Ashkenazim known as George Soros which many people have already talked about, but even the utilization of a a group like that, pushing them out in the forefront to be the face of what people would consider, what the mainstream media would consider to be black resistance. They're showing them as the face of black resistance. So once again, in 2030, 2040, if we don't do something now, to create real resistance to combat what they are creating, the atmosphere that they're creating behind uh, BLM and behind this alliance with a lot of the entertainers and now at the black colleges and universities. They will be even further behind when we had a perfect opportunity at this point to really make a power move for ourselves. So that was my intention of bringing that To the forefront because nobody else that i've seen is really is really talking about the detrimental effect that this can that this can have on us if we fall for the same trick once again like we did or like some of us did i should say not all of us like some of us did back in the early 1900s like some of us did in the 1960s, like some of us did in the 1980s and the 1990s. Mm.
2: Well, that's, uh, you know, that's, I mean, obviously we have to be aware of everything because as uh, Paul Robeson said, the battlefront is everywhere. And, um, you know, there is the only way people can make a statement of some historical alliance between you know people of African descent and people uh, who are called you know uh, Jews uh, dr. Wilson calls them Semitic people of the of the European extraction um, but you know I think what happens is that you have people using a eurocentric you know, fragmentation or, or compartmentalization. When they when they make these uh, discussions, uh, they conveniently leave out, you know, people like uh, Aaron Lopez, of uh, Providence, Rhode Island, the notorious uh, Jewish uh, ship owner that, who made numerous trips to Africa to transport Africans from, um, you know, Africa to uh, to the United States and other other parts of the Caribbean and Latin America, uh, Providence, Rhode Island, was, I guess, one of the focal points for the Jewish uh, uh, transatlantic enslavement industry. And of course, you had Jews who were actual slave owners who owned who enslaved African people. Judah. Benjamin eventually became uh, the vice president of the Confederacy. So, if you're going to tell the story, you need to tell the, 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 the complete story. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Jewish slave trade, uh, Jewish involvement in... I start I need to stop using the term slave trade. The Jewish involvement in the, the transatlantic enslavement process uh, is well documented. Uh, Ray Winbush just posted an article... Uh, that was uh, published by the New York Review of Books in, in December of 1994, titled "The Slave Trade and the Jews." Um, so, uh, you know, that's you know that there's a history there, and so, you know, they counter that with the involvement of Jews in the formation of the of the NAACP, uh, obviously with ulterior motives. The involvement of some Jewish people, and you, see what what happens is what happens is people use the term the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't ever hear people saying, you know, rarely do you hear people saying the Catholics,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? <laughs> you don't hear them saying the white people, right? It, it, they say the Jews as if the Jews are a monolithic structure, which they are not, they are anti Zionist Jews.
1: That's what you Dr. Know, ben said in his book, We the Black Jews. It's a religion is not a race.
2: Right, exactly. And, you know, and, 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 and and that brings us, Yeah, I mean, let me just continue that. And and then we'll go, you know, go back uh, to the civil rights era. Uh, You know, Dr. King's involvement with uh, Rabbi uh, Herschel and, you know, who, you know, showed up on the, the Selma march, of course, uh, uh, Mickey and Rita Schwerner and Andrew Goodman, Mickey Schwerner and Goodman being killed by you know white supremacists in uh, Neshoba County, Mississippi, in uh, in 1964. So I mean it it comes across like okay, so these people are using uh, Schwerner and Goodman to say the Jews. Mm. Now of course we know that you know you have hi- heroic people like the attorney William Custler, right? Yes, just an absolute uh, brilliant lawyer who defended justice to his last dying breath, defended Jamil El-Amin and a number of other people, uh, often pro bono. I mean, this, this guy was tremendous counselor. Uh, but you can't say you take can't, take cake. You can't take counseling and say the Jews, right? Mm-hmm. You have to talk about a specific, you know, uh, group of people. And so, I mean, that's why I have a problem there. Uh, now, I don't know enough about these uh, Sephardics and Ashkenazis to know whether they uh, also spoke Semitic languages in addition to speaking whatever languages uh, they were in. But I do know this. I do know that there is a lot of confusion as and disagreement on what, what anti-Semitism means. And what I found interesting, I, I, I've listened to about 40 minutes of the of the new canon class with uh, Rabbi Cooper, I I guess he works at the the Wiesenthal, uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center, I I, I guess. What I found interesting is that they took Cannon's statement on hateful propaganda and they reduced that to Minister Farrakhan in the Nation of Islam, when Nick Cannon himself had called out Dr. Welsing and the and the ISIS papers as uh, something that should be uh, read by everybody, Cannon said that, and Cannon said that white people were savages and barbaric because of you know their origin, you know, in the in the cold climate of Europe, sort of, you know, a Distortion or corruption of Sheikh jobs two cradle theory. Battery, right. They forgot all about all of that. They, they they just disregarded that and just focused solely in on this uh, who are the original Hebrews and Minister Farrakhan. And so when the when the rabbi went on, I don't know if you all have had a chance to see the interview with uh Cannon and the rabbi uh, Cooper. He immediately launched into uh, the typical uh, Zionist propaganda against Minister Farrakhan, you know, claiming he was someone who extolled the virtues of Adolf Hitler and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, all the statements, the various statements he made, Canon to his credit. Amazingly, uh, didn't bend over and grab his ankles. Uh, would not fall into that trap. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, he said he was dedicated to build an an alliance. Once again, back to what I almost was talking about between uh, people of African descent and Jews. And then he said that his first paycheck from uh, the mass singer, and from what I understand, he makes seventy thousand dollars an episode. Will go to the Simon uh, Wiesenthal Center as if Jews need need some need more donations. I mean, Obama. Left office giving him $3.8 billion a year, and then Donald Trump increased that. You know, he had to outdo Obama. I think he put it up to $3.9 billion a year, a, a big a welfare check that goes to the Zionist state. But one of the things that Griff and Cannon were trying to say was that they could not be anti Semitic because they, uh, that. The original Hebrews are black people who are 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 Semitic people. And so this is part of the of the discussion that some people have tried to say that anti-Semitism refers to the uh, linguistic term uh, Semitic language an Afro-Asiatic language a language that's spoken by various groups of people in uh, parts of Africa and Asia the majority of whom speak Arabic but uh, Amharic if I'm pronouncing that right uh, I think is the second largest group of people and then you have the Hebrew speakers and various other people but the hist- but the history of of of, of anti-Semitism uh, you know, had had absolutely nothing to do with, uh, you know, that particular, uh, you know, definition. You know, according to to what I'm reading, you know, it go, it goes back to a a, a, a a guy that wrote an article or a book uh, in Europe in uh, in 1879. Uh, and I was, I'm trying to find it here. Uh, 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 let's see what it says here there's a guy named Wilhelm Marr, who's described as a Viennese journalist. He wrote a book titled The Victory of Judaism Over Germanism. And Marr was careful to decouple anti-Semitism from the history of Christian hatred of Jews on the basis of religion, emphasizing in the line of uh, Sem- Semitic philology and racial theories of the 19th century that the distinction to be made between Jews and Aryans were strictly racial. Now th- this became part of the basis um, for you know Hitler's ideas of the uh, you know final solution uh, do, do, during the Third Reich. But, but what's interesting, okay so 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 this particular guy was saying that the uh, Jews of Europe were not Aryans. The interesting thing is that Herzl, And the the early Zionists agreed with that. And they, you know, sort of like, you know, the way Garvey was trying to convince uh, African people in the United States that these white supremacists hate us and we need to get out of here, Herzl was saying to the Jews of of Europe that, you know, that this anti-Semitism is real and we need to get out here and go somewhere, whether it's Argentina, Uganda, Palestine, or wherever. But there's an interesting alliance between the early Zionists and even uh, the Nazis. Eichmann, they, uh, Hitler sent Eichmann to uh, Israel in 1937 uh, to look at that as a as a possible location, uh, you know, for you know the forced migration of you know the Jews of Germany. So, so you have you have that distinct uh, difference in terms of what the term means. The, the, the term as originally defined simply meant anti-Jewish. I don't know why they didn't choose to choose to call it anti-Jewish or, you know, anti-Jewish people or whatever. And they come up, you know, came up with this term, uh, Semitism. Uh, you know, I mean, to be anti-anything means that in my in my mind, something must exist to be anti Oh, you know, some kind of philosophy, ideology or system like we can say, for example, we are anti-racism or anti-racism, white supremacy or anti-capitalism. Those things exist. I don't don't know to what extent there was anything in Europe known as as an ideology or whatever known as Semitism. But, you know, we know that there was there was a historical, you know, hatred of uh, of these people, you know, the expulsion. You know when the Moors were expelled uh, from uh, Spain, uh, people who practiced the Jew uh, Judaism were also expelled. So I mean that's there's a long history there, and you know there's a lot of confusion. You know when people use the term, the simplest way to understand the term is 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 as has been defined as it was created in Europe and agreed upon by the early Zionists was that it meant anti anti Jewish and this angle that. Uh, Professor Griff and Cannon and many others have gone off on about black people being the original Hebrews. I don't know how relevant that is to whatever, uh, particularly to the African origin of civilization, but, and to the, you know, the establishment of ancient Kemet, you know, we know that Norma had to expel a number of foreigners, <laughs> some of whom may have been Semites, or probably were, I'm sure, based on where they were located. But, you know, that that's something that, that, that needs to be dealt with and explain but trying to get these people to understand something when they all caught up in their emotions is very difficult
1: oh shit you know, I think at the time of normal Hebrews didn't even exist okay but, but when you when you look at the term they chose anti-semitic it ties them to, it tries to tie them to a geographical location other than the one that they know that they originated from so they've tried to take or they have taken the land from the palestinians but they're very crafty you know with the names that they choose even with their surnames it's the reason why a lot of them changed their surnames when they migrated to america
2: right right yeah yeah i i, I wasn't saying the nama kicked in the hebrews out i mean i'm just saying that some of the foreigns he kicked some of the foreigners he kicked out may have been defined as Semites or uh, semitic speak. Semites being Semitic-speaking people, you know, people who spoke uh, Arabic or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's what I was saying, like in, in Norma's time those languages didn't even exist yet. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so you, I mean, you're talking about in Norma's time, you're talking about what people quote-unquote would try to call um, the first dynasty what they say, 3100 BCE, but mm-hmm. I mean, at this time you only had uh, Medunetra and then you had um, the language from Mesopotamia. Okay. That language um, was one of the only other languages recorded languages in existence at the time of, mm. of Norma. Okay. So I don't even think Semitic was even a classification at that at, time. A, at that time. Okay. But um, neither here nor there. The reason why I said that is because as, as Grip and other people try to state that you know we're the original black hebrews well i mean even the hebrews at that time like i said were not even considered to be in the existence of a group yeah but exactly. um, but um another reason another angle that could be coming from this alliance with black people specifically african americans if you look around you notice a lot of african americans Especially celebrities now that are, that are getting dual citizenships, that are trying to migrate or start businesses on the continent. Mm-hmm. And we know that the eye of Israel right now is on the African continent. It's recorded that Benjamin Netanyahu met with Museveni, I believe it was, either a year or two years ago.
2: In it was last year.
1: Last year, talking about mm-hmm. um, building an alliance with Uganda. Right. And originally, Theodore Herzl, one of the locations that they were considering for their homeland was Uganda, was Uganda. and I believe it was right. was it Venezuela was another...
2: Ar- Argentina.
1: Argentina, excuse me. Argentina was another location. So, this could be an alliance that could be built off of the <laughs> fact that not only they are in the middle of what they consider to be a war, but... They're also in the middle of trying to now migrate their exploitation of resources from those areas in the Middle East to certain parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. And in order to get African American people to buy in that this is not gonna be considered to be them committing acts of terror on black people, you have to get people like John Lewis and others to buy into the state of Israel or buy into the alliance between black people and them so that then you don't attack them when you see them attacking Africa,
2: right? And, and another thing, uh, Netanyahu was doing uh, is trying to trying to buy off uh, a majority of African leaders so that Israel can can have observer status in the African Union.
0: Hmm. Observer was, status.
2: Observer status because the the PLO had the Palestinians had. Uh, observer status. They have been granted observer status, uh, but they wouldn't give it to Haiti for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, they they were be trying to buy off a, a number of of leaders, uh, Kagame and others. And I mean, you know, I don't know how many of these guys would actually go go along with it. But <laughs> you know what happens when they people start throwing a month start throwing money around. Mm. But, I mean, that would would also be part of their, you know, part of their master, part part of their master plan. Um, I wrote an article uh, in the county news. I don't know if you can see this or not. The title of the article is um, John Lewis and the Promise and Failure of Civil Rights and Black Politics. And I know that uh, a lot of people... You know, want to appreciate the the tone of the argument, but uh, tone of the of the article because you know I just laid out the facts as I saw them. You know how how the current conditions in our community you know you know were, were arrived at. You know why 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 do we find ourselves in these particular conditions? Uh, you know, 50, 55 years after, you know, the passage of these, uh, you know, civil rights laws. And it's very similar to, as we've stated, I don't know how many times here on this program, the similarity between what's happening today and the the overthrow uh, of Reconstruction and, 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 and the ensuing violence, you know, the, the the violence that, you know, that that took place by the initial Ku Klux Clan led by uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest, uh, famous for the Fort Pillow Massacre, where they just gunned down black soldiers and white soldiers who were attempting to surrender. Um, and there are high schools all around the country, all around the South anyway, named Forrest. I, did you play against any Forrest high schools, sw- Jack, during your days? brother yeah. had my best game against
0: Nathan Bedford Forrest. <laughs> Oblivious to who he was at the time. Maybe it was the ancestral spirit.
2: It that, was the ancestral spirit. <laughs>
0: that took over Jacksonville yeah. Forrest.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think there's, there's one in, in South Carolina. Um, but but the, the gist of what I was saying in terms of the failure is that, and some of this is repetitive, but it's the history that people need to understand understand. You know, once the independent Mississippi Freedom Democrat Party decided to capitulate and join the regular white supremacist Democrat Party of uh, Lyndon Johnson, then the die was cast to create a a cadre of neocolonial politicians who would do the same thing in the United States that uh, Felix Houphouet-Boigny and Joseph Mobutu and others uh, we're doing in Africa, and that is serve as a comprador class doing the, doing the dirty work uh, or carrying on uh, the dominance of the uh, North Atlantic imperialist. And so, given the the ideological split within SNCC, you know the the one, the minority led by Kwame Ture, Baba uh Cleve Sellers, Jamil Elamine, Ruby Doris Robinson, James Foreman, and others. Uh, who who sought a more independent, self-determining black power, black liberation um, orientation versus the John Lewis type of faction who always believed that the objective was to assimilate into American society, that American society had a moral conscience that could be reformed if we would just, if enough of us would just lay down and die. So, or just roll over and just be beaten or fall down and be beaten or whatever. And so it's understandable how uh, you know the shift you know took place given the monies that that were being funneled in, in, into these into these people but the, but the net result is and this is the real tragedy to me the real tragedy of, of the civil rights movement is that the people who invested the most, and this would be the grassroots black families, black people of the Mississippi Delta and the black belt of Alabama uh, have benefited the least, you know, from those laws. And what we, what we did was in fact, uh, we replaced uh, white faces in high places with black faces in high places, but these people are holding office without holding power And there's no greater example of that than the uh, massive unemployment, particularly in all of these urban centers that have, you know, black politicians, black mayors, and more more black men are unemployed now, you know, in the 21st century than were unemployed in 1970. And this is documented in a study by the University of Wisconsin at at, uh, Milwaukee. So, I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the thrust of the article. Uh, the good sister Fran Farah allows me to write these articles, uh, you know, in her newspaper, a black owned newspaper, which we should support. Uh, and, you know, I encourage people to uh, maybe stop in your local food line or, you know, wherever you can find it and, and, and read the article. And then I'm, I'm, I'm open to criticism I'm open to challenge and change in light of new and compelling information. Somebody may have some information that says, no, you, you are all wrong about this. I don't I'm open to challenge. I'm open to challenge in the spirit of what Dr. Amos Wilson called creative contention. So I just, I just wanted to make that point brothers. Now, y'all but, can go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly uh, as brother
0: Chris Hedges points out, as well as Glenn Ford, our good people over at bar, The black misleadership class and the white misleadership class both have lost legitimacy because uh, you alluded to the fact that we have uh, people of melanin in high positions, but they have not been able to deliver uh, the Black uh, Lives Movement. It has its inception under a black attorney general as well as a black uh, president. so both groups in terms of the misleadership class has lost all legitimacy. I want to move on over and talk about uh, a recent phenomena where uh, these secret law enforcement uh, personnel, they were sent to protect these monuments of dead presidents. Uh, You know, in the USA, you should not have, in theory, secret police. I understand that Eleanor Holmes Norton, has introduced a bill where personnel have to identify themselves. Uh, in the age of protests, you know, how do you distinguish who is authorized and who is not? Here, uh, fewer of the orange Caligula, Agent Orange, has said that he will be sending these troops to Chicago and Baltimore. The question we have to ask is: Will drones be present? Uh, we're talking about camouflaged, unidentified personnel snatching people off the street. Um, I believe there's a federal law that does not protect uh, Confederate monuments. But the danger of this is that anonymous people can act with greater impunity. And uh, this fear campaign is being ratcheted up. There's a, uh, earlier tonight I saw on television the symbolism of an old white woman being assaulted Uh, to, you know, enhance fear, which influences policy. Fear drives draconian policy. Uh, As we know, this has been the case from time uh, immemorial.
2: You know, in that context, uh, Marilyn Mosby, the uh, state's attorney for Baltimore, said that if uh, Trump's agents are sent to Baltimore and they engage in illegal vigilante activities, they will be charged and arrested. Uh, so does Marilyn Mosby have the authority to do that, arrest federal agents? You know, the sister Tuskegee grad has said that's what she will do. And the, uh, so, uh, so said uh, the, the, the Philadelphia uh, district attorney, Also said the same thing, but one of the things that come that has come out of Portland, um, the um, the leader of the NAACP out there, and I I think, you know, just like you know people like Robert Williams, uh, you know Medgar Evers, uh, you know Aaron Henry, Amzie Moore. Sometimes we have to draw a distinction between the national leadership, you know, which we know is what they are. And, you know, you have local leaderships like we had here, Kojo Nuntambu, for example. Strong black man uh, using the vehicle to carry on. But uh, it says that the Portland Black Lives Matter protests have become a white spectacle. And, you know, we, uh, Gullah Jack and I did an interview on the chocolate box last night. And this whole issue of, quote unquote, allies came up. And, you know, we kind of broke down the history, you know, going back to the Bacon Rebellion of, you know, how that has and has not worked. Um, so anyway, this is what the president said. We cannot settle for spectacles that endanger us all. This is a moment for serious action to once again take up the mantle of civil of the civil rights era by summoning the same conviction and determination our forebears did. And so he's, he's saying that, that what is happening in Portland is totally detached, you know, from what it started uh, to be. And then... Um, uh, La Kayana Drury, executive director of Portland's nonprofit Word is Bond, says, I want us to remember why we're here. What's happening downtown is not a black issue. This is a battle between two white supremacy entities. This, you know, ties into what uh, Brother Almost was saying. This is a battle between two white supremacy entities, the Trump administration and the local city of Portland. So she's calling both of them white supremacy entities. And, you know, the black people have nothing to do with it. So, I mean, I, you know, I think that because Portland is is getting a lot of news. This has been the African Liberation Media to our
0: host, brother Amos and brothers McAroo. This is Gullah Jack. Tune in to another informative uh, segment of the African Liberation Media. B.B. Be 48 B.B. Be 48 B.B. Be 48 Power
3: or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected that does not represent power either you are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. Uh, if it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. <laughs> if your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good the study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride those things are important but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world